Hello, folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism to find common ground that brings us together. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And today, we've got another one of those classic Sense and Theory grab Grab bags. bags. That's right. Now, uh, since we've switched uh, to the two-week format, uh, it it is absolutely wonderful. Uh, I feel relaxed, rejuvenated, and I ready played, to go each I time. I played so much Tropico 4 last oh, weekend. Oh, yeah. I got it for three <laughs> bucks on a Steam sale. I've been binging it hard. But invariably, that means that we have the feeling that there are stories that are slipping through the cracks because we're not coming to you guys every single week. So what better way for us to kind of play catch up, round up some of those stories than to do one of our grab bag episodes. And that's what we've got for you guys today. That's right. So today we're going to talk about the Mueller investigation. Oh, uh, because thank goodness. Course, uh, that's kind of dropped and uh, fell on our laps. Uh, we're going to talk about this college scandal, the admission scandal that's been happening. I'm sure you've all seen it in the news. Uh, we're going to talk about something you may not have seen um, that hasn't really gotten a bunch of mainstream attention, uh, attention, and that is uh, mandatory arbitration clauses in contracts right. are being are being looked at. Uh, we're talking about ending that practice, which is is great. We'll talk about that, uh, and we're going to talk about a really weird situation where the government has has been dropping charges against people who are in possession of child pornography. What? Um, I know what it's kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to look into why they're dropping those charges and, and maybe what that means. Um, or, or, you know, we're, we're going to talk about it. We'll, we'll right. get into it. Uh, before we do, we want to once again, extend a, a hearty thank you to all our patrons. And uh, actually this episode, I would like to ask you guys what you think about the two week format, because now we're, we're going into like the third month with it. You know, we've been, we, what is this, our fifth show with the new format, I believe. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so how do you guys feel? Do you miss us on that off week? Uh, is this working out for you? Will this grab bag today kind of catch some of those stories that you thought fell through the cracks? Uh, let us know. And as always, you know, hit us up on the website, the email, sense and theory podcast at gmail.com, Facebook, Twitter, all the links are in the show notes. And we'd love to hear from you guys. That's right. So without further ado, um, do you want to kind of kick us into the Mueller investigation here yeah, and kind sure. of explain where we're at and what's what's come down? All right. I said on an episode uh, many episodes ago that I was not going to talk about the Russia investigation until the Mueller report came in. <laughs> Bravo. That day is here. Uh, on March 22nd, 2019, Robert Mueller concluded his two-year investigation into a possible Trump-Russia connection and filed his report with the Attorney General. Two days later, on March 24th, Attorney General William Barr sent a four-page summary of the report findings to Congress. Man, I wish it would have just been the report. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, so yeah, so Mueller, you know, he turns in his report, and there's going to be some things in that report that have to be redacted. Well, as soon as everyone knows that Mueller's turned in his report, you can't can't keep people in suspense for a month. While you're you're working on these redactions. Uh, the sad part of this whole thing is that, of course, it gets handed off to a Trump appointee, yes. Attorney General Barr here, who has right. the job of of summarizing it and reporting to the public uh, what it what it all means in his take. Yeah. And, and the report was huge, and he issued his uh, his statement in like two days or something, yeah. his summary in two days or so. It didn't take him long at all. So already people are scratching their heads, like, oh, how can he digest this thing in in two days and make a decision? But right. uh, of course, if you've got a Trump appointee. Um, making this statement that in, in, unless he goes along with the democratic narrative that Trump is a, is a scumbag and deserves to be impeached, yeah. you're going to have cries from the Democrats 
uh, about how this is unfair and it's partisan politics. Yeah. Um, so we're going to take a look so at it and find he, out if it's partisan politics. So the question is, did he go along with the, the Democratic narrative on Russia? But more importantly, did Robert Mueller go along with the Democratic narrative on Russia? And it turns out, no, he did not. Mueller's team uh, found, this is a, in his summary, this is a direct quote from the report included uh, in the summary. Uh, the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. So, boom, nothing burger. Yeah. Russia, a Russia-Trump connection uh, to the election is out the window. It does not they exist. They investigated for two years. They had all of the authority, all of the money. Yep. They did everything they could, and it's not there. Done. Yep. Period. Yeah. Russia. Trump election off the table didn't yeah. happen. I, I think we have, if we have any faith in our justice systems at all, even a <laughs> tiny sliver left, yeah. I think you have to accept that as true. Yeah. And I mean, and, and, and I think that, that there was nobody before this report got turned in that was, in fact, I, w I would say that this report, that line at least helps the side, the only side that was questioning Mueller's integrity. You know what I'm saying? The Republicans were the ones questioning Mueller's integrity. Mm -hmm. The Democrats were the ones who weren't. So I, I think at the end of the day, if we remove partisanship, everybody kind of believes that Mueller is a fair guy. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, you didn't have any, <laughs> you didn't have any qualms about Mueller being a Republican during the investigation. Yeah, all I'm saying. And, and two years in, and all it that all money looked upright. No connection between neither Trump nor you know elements of his campaign. Now, Although Mueller did establish that there was Russian interference in the election, which we knew from you know, indictments that had come down and all That's that right. And, and also some things came out, Manafort being guilty of, of, of tax fraud. Right. Um, you know, there were, uh, there are charges being, you know, being filed. Uh, Stone is getting in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Flynn got in trouble, you know, right. for perjury. So, uh, yeah, there were some, some things came out of it and the Trump camp, uh, was corrupt obviously in a lot of ways, but when yeah. it comes to Trump, Russia election collusion, which is all we heard for two years from MSNBC, right. um, from from CNN, from all the talking heads, from radio, anywhere you looked, it was screaming Trump, Russia, election collusion to yep. get Trump in office. Didn't happen. Nope. But there is still a question. There's a sticky wicket, though, because then we move on to obstruction. In regards to whether or not President Trump committed obstruction of justice by such such actions as firing James Comey, pressuring A.G. Jeff Sessions, and, you know, the constant comments he was making about the Mueller investigation while it was going on, uh, Mueller did not reach a conclusion or give a definitive statement. According to Barr, the report lays out the evidence on either side of the question of obstruction and states, quote, while the report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. And I got to hand it to, to Barr here because he could have he could have taken a truly partisan stance mm -hmm. and not even said this doesn't exonerate him. Right. I, I think he could have done that, um, especially in the Trumpian age and, and where lies get thrown around left and right. Yeah. Um, he could have easily taken that stance. Um, and this shows to me a little hint of nonpartisanship. Yeah. Right. He's leaving that open. He's going, well, maybe maybe he did obstruct justice. Yeah. Well, especially in light of his findings. Right. So so what happens at that point is when if Mueller doesn't make the call, that leaves the decision on whether to prosecute from the findings in that report with the attorney general. So Barr and Deputy AG Rod Rosenstein, who has at times 
been one of the you know maligned heroes to the left, even though he is somebody who politically is on the right. You know, Rod Rosenstein has been held up as the only bastion that was keeping this investigation going at times, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, they spent the two days, the the interim between when the report got turned in and when the summary got issued, going over the report, looking at it, and Barr reached the conclusion uh, from his summary. The evidence developed during the special counsel's investigation is not sufficient to establish that the president committed an obstruction of justice offense. So, yes, if it's Barr's conclusion that there is no obstruction of justice, to me, I'm not saying it would have been a good case for it, but that's a case right there for leaving out that it does not exonerate him. He could have come back after the fact and been like, well, I just thought that muddied the issue because he said that he wasn't sure either way. And me and Rod Rosenstein looked at it and we were sure. Right. So, you know what? He had an out there in a sense, if he wanted to leave that out. See, I, I don't understand why, why Mueller didn't, didn't come down on obstruction. Like, well, dude, you're, <laughs> you're the guy we're, we're asking, you know, we're asking this of you. Like, just tell us, do you think it was obstruction? Do you not? Yeah. I also don't understand why people are acting like, there's some big cover up going on now and it's happening right. all across Facebook and Twitter. People are acting like, Oh, you know, now, now they're not going to release the report and it's all, you know, it's all in secret. And it, the report really says there was collusion and yada, yada. But man, Mueller would say Mueller, Mueller would cry foul. Yeah, if, if that it, was, if, 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 if that summary came out horribly mischaracterized lo- that report, right. Mueller would say something. Mueller's going to say something. But, well, but besides that, why not? As Mueller, why do you not go ahead and take a stance on obstruction? I think because this obstruction question is such a, a, a sticky wicket, as it were, that to make a call one way or the other is going to be seen as political, right? Because here's the thing. Here's, here's basically, you know, for instance, Barr in his summary had to clarify, and he put in a line that said, uh, he said that this uh, this decision was made without regard to and is not based on the constitutional considerations that surround the indictment and criminal prosecution of a sitting president. So see that right there is Barr acknowledging that there are politics in this question. How you view your opinion on that law is going to to affect how you read this report. And so, right. And he's saying we didn't consider... Uh, the question of whether we yeah. can actually indict him. He, he's saying, he's that saying there's just not... based on looking yeah. at the evidence and what obstruction of justice is, right. he doesn't believe there's there's enough evidence to qualify. And it's... and I think you have to look at obstruction, right? So there's a couple right. things that that are required. There's criminal intent. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's actions to to impede an investigation, and there also has to be a nexus of criminal activity. Right. Right. So. In order for Trump to be guilty of obstruction for firing Comey, he has to have. I mean, it's it's cut and dry. If if he knew about Manafort's tax evasion, and they could show that Trump knew about that and acted to, and that to was fire why he fired Comey, Comey. And that's why he right. fired Comey. You got obstruction. Boom. Yeah. That easy. Uh, same goes for Stone. Same goes. But that is a hard thing to prove. Yeah. Uh, Trump, by all by all looks was trying to stop the investigation because he knew he didn't collude with Russia well, don't, don't, to win the election. Right. So so what it comes down to is what, what Barr and them are basically saying is if there is no crime, then what justice was he obstructing? Right. right. You know, how is he knew that the investigation was founded on, you know, crap, basically. And so you have to you you get to take that corrupt intent out when he's assessing Comey's uh job performance, basically. You right. know? 
So uh, directly from his thing, uh, Barr says, generally speaking, to obtain and sustain an obstruction conviction, the government would need to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that a person acting with corrupt intent engaged in obstructive conduct with a sufficient nexus to a pending or contemplated proceeding. The problem is, is that if there had been a Russia connection, some of the things that Trump did would be obstruction of justice. Right. It's only because there is no underlying crime. So that gets to a, a question that is at the heart of, you'll have judges disagree on this. You know what I mean? The question is, can there be corrupt intent if you were innocent the whole time? Because now we're talking about busting somebody for a process crime. Right. And I get that you don't like Trump, but is that is that where you're at? I mean, think you know, it's kind of like what happened well, with Flynn uh, or or Clinton, you know, with yeah. the with the emails. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're on one side of that, and you're on the other side of this. Yeah, it came down to Hillary's intent, and we accepted that the FBI said, well, she didn't have intent to have a sec- unsecured email server. You know, she wasn't trying to subvert uh, American policies. She's just an old lady that didn't understand technology. Yeah, and, well, know. and don't forget the other Clinton. I mean, what Clinton's impeachment trial came down to, or at least for the public, was that we didn't want to impeach a president for a process crime. I mean, right. he lied in an investigation about something that isn't really a crime. You right. know what I mean? So, you know, at the end of the day, do you take that into consideration or not? And that's why I think Mueller couldn't make a decision, because whether you take that into consideration or not is going to be... That's going to be a political it's decision. It's going to be a political decision. <laughs> I mean, it just is, you know? So well, it's, I See, I don't think so. I think as a Republican, maybe he looks at it and says, like, if I if I side this way, then yeah, it's going to look partisan. But man, you're handing it to Barr, so now you're just you're just passing the buck. Now yeah. Barr's got to do it. Um, you know. I, well, the good news is, is like uh, you know, Mueller's going to be called before Congress, yeah. and Barr has said openly that he is more than willing to testify on this process, what he's done over the two days. Uh, they are redacting the report. They're taking out things like specifics about the grand jury process and also things related to our intel gathering activities. Yeah. Now, the problem course. is, is that people, you know, people who were ready, the people in the Trump Russia camp who are never going to believe that it didn't happen. Uh, they're, you know, they're saying all oh, these redactions, that's where they're going to get <laughs> us. They're going to keep things. They need to release the full report and stuff. Here's the thing. Like prior to this, prior to this event, these, the redactions that they have named so far, are redactions that happen in any document that comes right. from the Department of Justice. And when it gets released, well, if things are redacted that shouldn't have been redacted, Robert Mueller is going to testify before Congress. Yeah, fair enough. So, fair enough. I mean, you know, again, I, I, I don't know. Barr would have to be the most insane con man to try to pull that <laughs> off, bro. You know what I mean? I just, I hate that we're going to have two more years um, the way this is played out, we're going to have two more years of this thing looming. It never goes away now. No. It never goes away because there's... Well, and there are the other investigations. Well, exactly. There's other well, investigations. Yeah. So Stone's getting investigated, and if something pops up with Stone, oh, we're going to have people talking about, oh, well, Trump knew about those crimes that Stone did, and that's why he fired Comey. You know, this well, is going to go on and on On and that on. front, on that front in particular, I think it's weird. I think the best piece of evidence for obstruction of justice against Donald Trump is actually like going to be the saving grace if any of those things happen. Because don't forget that the linchpin, really, I think, in the obstruction of justice case was that on NBC, 
Trump told Lester Holt that he fired Comey because of the Russia investigation. <laughs> so if anything with Manafort happens, if anything with Stone, you know, if anything yeah, he's already there, said, look, he I, said, fired I fired him, him because, because I'm Russia. innocent on Russia yeah. and he's wasting money. And he also said that he fired him because of the, you know, and, and whether you believe it or not, but he, he fired him because of the theatrics with the Hillary Clinton thing, mm. with the, you know, the way that Comey kind of put the spotlight on himself. Oh, he did. And yeah. I'm going to say again, if you know, if you're Trump, let's suspend how you feel about him for just a minute if you know there's no underlying crime does it not make sense based on his recent job performance with something that serious to fire james absolutely Comey? does oh, it I, not if i if i'd have known i was innocent uh yeah. I'd, I'd have done the same thing yeah. and if you say you wouldn't you're you're crazy i mean you would have to be a nutter yeah. not to exercise the power to shut down an investigation you know for a fact is false yeah. Uh, well, no, 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 no. Not even shut it. He didn't shut no, it. Not shut. Yeah, but to fire. But just remove that yeah. guy. Yeah. You know absolutely. what I mean. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think to me the the big thing here is uh big surprise to me. Of course, I can say that now. But you know, <laughs> big surprise to me. What we're left with, I think, at the end of the day, uh, we still have a president that sucks. But I think the bigger thing is, what are we gonna do about the media, man? Yeah. Like, I think we're, we're, we're still, we want those redactions to matter and all that stuff because we kind of want to ignore this, but dude, the media just hijacked us for two years, for two years. And it, and it sucks because, because Trump, Trump is a terrible, is a terrible person. I don't, I don't like him. I don't want him to be our president. I don't care if the economy's doing good. Uh, I don't like it, but he is saying fake news, fake news, fake news. And the news over and over is proving to be yeah. fake news, fake news, fake news. So what do you do? Yeah. We need the people who hate Trump to recognize that fake news is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. We need that to happen. You cannot write off the failures of the media over the last two to, to ten years uh, because you hate Trump. Yeah. You can't do it. We cannot give him that much power over us. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like some, A broken clock is wrong twice yeah. a day. Yeah, so like yeah. some of the things Trump complains about, we need to, to accept as real problems. Well, yeah, well he, and he's using them because he knows there's a kernel of truth there. You know mm. what I'm saying? That's the exact reason he took them on in the first place. I think there, there was a, there was a piece from uh, a guy, I think his name is Matt to lobby. And uh, I forget who he writes for. That's my apologies. But anyway, he wrote a piece and he came out and he said, well, Hey man, we screwed up. And he laid out everything that's happened over the last two years in the media and like where the media went wrong and stuff. And I think that's great. And I think that, you know, like with that guy, I'm more inclined to listen to him going yeah, forward. Absolutely. Now, meanwhile, uh, you know, we got uh, Jank over at the Young Turks talking about, oh, I wasn't talking about collusion before <laughs> the election. I, I've always said that he colluded with Russia after the election. Yeah. Like, what oh, my, idiot, who Jank. knows what he's talking about? We've got uh, Matt Al doubling down, you know, and that's just the wrong approach, man. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's just the wrong approach. And I think that we have to reject um, those media personalities, like when, when, you know, what was it? The lady on Fox, I can't remember her name, judge, uh, their P- Piro, you know, she just did something, uh, despicable there a couple weeks ago with, uh, Islamics. I, I cannot I remember the that. quote. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, they kicked her off, uh, Fox for a little bit and then they brought her back on and stuff. Reject her. You know what I'm saying? At the same time though, people who aren't going to own up to this, we got to reject them yeah. too. You got to stop watching these people's shows. Stop tuning in to Matt out. Yeah. Okay. She just <laughs> lost her shit for two years. She don't get to tell us the way things are anymore. Right. She was, you wrong. know what and I mean? I, there was a tweet from someone, uh, kind of defi- I don't remember who it was. It was the head of some uh, high up in some news organization, um, you know, defending them and saying, well, we're not, 
we're not an entire investigations department. Yeah, this no. is too much for us to even investigate. That was the like, president of CNN. He said, uh, we're reporters, not investigators. Yeah. Get, well, then how do you know what you're reporting is accurate? What about investigative journalism? <laughs> exactly, man. I, no, you are investigators. Yeah. You should be anyway. Yeah. You know, you should you should be front lines figuring out what's going on, man. And, and, and I, yeah, and bro, what was it? Brian Stelter, who has a show on CNN where he says, uh, I think it's called and, Reliable and, Sources. And, and, and really, if you're going to report, and I, I get him, because the other thing in that tweet he said was something about, you know, we have to report on things that are happening. And you do, but it's a matter of how you report on exactly. those things. Exactly. That's you what could Stelter. You cover the, the Russia investigation in a, in a non-biased, non-partisan way and still and, and and bring the truth to people. We were yeah. doing it. Yeah. Other people were doing it. All independent media. Fox yeah. wasn't doing it. They were right. on the other side going, they're totally innocent. No. Yeah. Any reasonable reporter should be able to look at it and go, well, maybe he's innocent. Yeah. And maybe he's not. Here is the evidence we have. Here right. is the evidence we have against. Let's follow this thing as it builds. But that didn't yeah. happen. Yeah. No, Stelter, Stelter tried to make the same argument. And he, he used that same defense. He was like, you know, we're just reporting it as it happened. No, 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 man. Let's back up for a second and remember those stories that you remember the story that got reported on that Mueller straight up came out and said, no, that's not what happened. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> we covered that. I, I get what they're trying to say. Well, if I've got a source that's telling me that's what happened, you know, da, 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 da. Well, remember how we all said there, you know, remember the, the Strzok and Page thing and there are people on Mueller's team at one point who uh, certainly are, whether or not they did anything wrong, they are certainly biased against Trump as a reporter. Maybe it is your job to kind of listen to that with, yeah. you know, one head cocked and, and maybe not report that. You know, I don't think that's what happened. I don't think that everybody in the media set out to deceive. I, I think Maddow did, but I don't think everybody in the media set out to deceive us. But I See, think they I were think, willing to believe anything that came to them. I think you're I think you're you're right and wrong. I think I think that since media has has consolidated into these siloed organizations where things are passed down from on high. I mean, you've everyone's seen the video of all of the news channels saying the exact same thing. Right. You know, right. 40 different news channels. Uh, I think that when we're passing down this information from on high, it doesn't take a big conspiracy to, to load a story. Right. Mm -hmm. It just takes dropping it down the silo and watching it trick. It's a plinko. Ding, 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 ding. It's going to hit all the pegs as it goes down. So, yeah, right. they're willing. Uh, they, they may be willing to to accept this this false narrative. but they don't even they really have to be complicit. They just do their job. They just go in every yeah, morning no, and they read the script they're given. Well, well, true enough. True and enough. and they go on about their business. So yeah. I, I think to uh, to be that soft on them is not fair because I think there are people higher up in these news organizations over the editors, et cetera, et cetera, that are trickling down these stories just so, just the way that we see them for the ex for the express purpose of of driving us into these frenzies and getting us riled up. I mean, I, I, I don't see any other way around it. It, it has to be. I can't go that far, but I will thing. say I will say that it's a possibility. Well, I mean, I think that people report on things that they, they nobody wants to get scooped and everything like that. But in light of the fact that, you know, just recently there was a story, I think it was, uh, uh, was it Yashar Ali on uh, Twitter? And he had a scoop on when the Democratic uh, uh, nominee debates were going to be held this summer. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the editor from the Washington Post called on behalf of the Democratic National Committee and asked him to hold the story. You know what I mean? Like, and, and you know, you can go look that up. I, I might have messed up some of the details. It was either Washington Post or CNN is where she worked. But she, uh, but yeah, she called him up and she was like, hey, you, you don't have to run this story right now. Just give him a little time <laughs> to contact, you know. So I think there is some intermingling. You know what I'm saying? You might have a point. It is possible. 
I also think that that bias that we've cited before, I mean, that's, it's a hell of a drug, man. Yeah. It's a hell of a drug when you're in that bubble and everybody wants to be the Woodward and Bernstein that has the story that brings down Trump because he had to have done it, right? Yeah, not to mention, you know? ratings are a hell of a drug, too. Yeah. So if Maddow rants for an hour about it's, Trump Russia and it's the best the best ratings she's ever done, she's going to do it again tomorrow. And I would say to you, it's no different than Alex Jones. So, mm. <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> moving on. In, Infowars <laughs> CNBC. No, no, In, no Info I Infowars CNBC. I, that, that quest for ratings, MSNBC, but that oh. quest for ratings, it's, it's, yeah, to me, it's the same thing as Alex Jones. Uh, next up, I would like to take a moment in the middle of our show just to point a couple things out. Okay, that's it. That's okay. It. Okay. Right. I would, I, I wanted to point out that Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia, uh, Virginia Attorney General Mark Herring, who both admitted to wearing blackface in the 80s, and Virginia Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, who has been accused of sexual assault by two women, are all still in office, and we don't talk about it anymore. What's the common thread? Uh, uh, they're de- de- Democrats? Are they, all, are they all Democrats? They are all Democrats, believe it or not. Mm. And suddenly, uh, wearing blackface and assaulting women is okay. You don't, you don't get knocked out of office all of a sudden in Virginia if, that's, if not, you're a Democrat. Not if you're a Democrat, right. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm being a little facetious here. There are still, you know, the occasional news stories here and there, but... Again, all these guys are still in office. And the media and storm no has died outcry. down. There's yeah. not a Twitter storm about it. People aren't talking about it. And, and, and how does that play into this next story we're going to talk about? Well, well I Joe would... Biden, after announcing his, uh, his possible run for president in 2020, um, has come out to get ahead of these videos of old creepy Joe Biden touching people inappropriately and... Uh, some accusers that came forward and said that they were victims of his inappropriate touching. Yes, uh, Lucy Flores came forward and she said that he, uh, he smelled his, smelled her hair, got all Planted up in her face. Planted a space. big slow kiss on the back of her <laughs> yeah. head, I think was the... And so if you go and look, it is actually, we found out this weekend that it, it's, it's a little tough to find the proper videos on YouTube. The videos that are getting all the hits are some of the more debatable and innocuous videos of, of Joe Biden with these young girls and young However, women. However, the Sense and Theory podcast has come to the rescue, and at least for now, uh, I, I've found some YouTube videos of some pretty creepy, egregiously creepy behavior um, with Joe Biden and, and young girls. Now, those videos probably won't be there tomorrow. I've seen a lot of them taken down, and like I said, the most popular videos don't have any of the footage that I've included in the sources for today's episode. So definitely, if you haven't seen these videos or if you're on the fence, you don't know what people are talking about, go to senseandtheorypodcast.com, click on today's episode, look down in the sources. The YouTube links are right there. And and let me tell you, um, as a father, watching the way Joe Biden has touched these small girls makes me wretch, makes me physically ill. Yeah. And and it makes me kind of physically ill to talk about it, but I'm going to go ahead and describe uh, the videos for for you listeners. So it's a congressional swearing-in ceremony where families of senators are being sworn in, and they typically bring their children, and they all smile for the cameras and and wave and and make nice. And Biden at the time was pre, you know as vice president, he was president of the Senate, so he's who swears in each senator, and then traditionally the vice president takes a photo with you and your family. That's right. Now you're not in the, these videos. I, I will say, 
they are they are snippets. They're not the full context. I'm not you know, it's not a three hour video of the whole process. Right. But you can clearly see every senator that comes up with a small young girl, Joe Biden goes out of his way to pull that girl away from where she is, whatever parent she's with and pulls her next to him. Right. And does things like stroke their hair Mm -hmm. and touch their necks and kiss them. And lean into their ears and whispers things in their ears. And seemingly smell their hair. Which Smells is what their Ms. hair. Is Absolutely. Um, and, and all of these girls are between 11 and 13 years old. There are young boys present. And he exhibits none of these behaviors to the young boys. So I, I've heard people say, oh, he's just a touchy-feely, close talker. He does it with men too. None of that happened in any of these videos with anything but the young yeah. girls. Now, I am a close person. I hug my kids. I kiss my kids. I hug my friends, my male friends. I embrace uh, lovingly, deeply. Now, there is a part of me as a, as a touchy-feely, empathetic person that can intuit how someone's feeling about, about those interactions, right? So mm-hmm. I have friends, male friends that I don't hug yeah. because I, I just feel like they're not, they're not huggy people. I right. can recognize that immediately. If I go to hug someone and I can detect a hint of, of disgust or distaste, um, I, I back off. It's yeah. done. You can clearly see in all of these videos disgust, yeah. discomfort. Um, it it, is, yeah, the, the it one, is gross. The red-headed girl, it's not a hint. She is, she is pulling away from Joe Biden. She is looking at him. She is cowing and stuff. Like she is trying to get away from Joe Biden. And he Almost all of those girls are, yeah. are exhibiting behaviors of, of discomfort that are, that are clearly obvious. Yeah. Um, now, those, those videos without any sound bites on their own, I could even see taking a stance like, well, you know, maybe he is just being touchy feely. I don't know, but let there me tell is, you why. Okay, there's there's one in particular. Uh, he he puts his hand around the girl's waist, and and the way it's it's like a it's like a clinch, right? Like so, you know, you and I were talking about it, and I said I, I wouldn't do that with my daughter. I wouldn't put my hand on her waist like that. And you said, you know, well, if you're trying to get in for a picture or something like that, yeah, sure. But it's there for. I don't know, five or six minutes. Well, and then it kind and of it, brushes and it's, up. And it's He's a creeping up. Yeah. He's creeping up towards her breast. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And it's, there's no way in hell I would hold my daughter like that, let alone a stranger's daughter a, or granddaughter. Right, right. A you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the kicker for me, there is a, a portion where, where Biden says, after they're done taking this picture, and he's pulled the girl in close to him, and, and, they're, and they're parting ways now. He says... He says, can I, can I get one alone with Jess? Yeah. And the whole crowd with him, they all go, oh, ooh. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a, it's an, uh, an ooh, you know, like they recognize it for an inappropriate that he's, joke. he's hitting on her and stuff. Right, yeah. that he's hitting on her, right? Yeah. This is a 12-year-old girl. Uh, and then they part and he pulls her to get a picture alone with him. And someone off camera says, I think dad's going to be pretty close by for this one. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's beyond the pale. That's we've now entered a realm where Joe Biden is joking about having joking, maybe having sexual attraction to 12 year old girls and everyone around him is acting like it's okay. The yeah. girls are all incredibly uncomfortable. It's a hundred percent obvious. Yeah. I, I, anyone who looks at that video and can't see how uncomfortable these girls, if Joe Biden himself couldn't see how comfortable, uncomfortable those girls were, there's something wrong. Right. And, and the fact that it didn't happen 
to, to, to the little boys. He wasn't that way towards anyone else. He's constantly whispering in ears. Yeah. He talks about how pretty one of them is and, and in, she can't date till she's 30. And, and granted, that's some, that's some old world, you know, yeah, that's some, some old man stuff yeah, that used style, to be a, yeah. appropriate. Yeah. But, but let me tell you, it used to be appropriate because it was appropriate for dirty old men to think 13 year old girls were hot. Yeah. And, and it's and, not, it's not just some innocuous joke. It's, it's, I, I am finding a way to, to, to make a socially acceptable statement about how attractive your prepubescent daughter is. Yeah. Like yeah. that's messed up, man. And, 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 and Joe Biden has come out and he's apologized and said, Oh, I'm just touchy feely. And I like, no dude, no, well, that what, doesn't What I want to drive home is that, it, and it, and it is, man, the, the deal with the, the young girls is weird. But it's not just young girls. It's there's grown women too. And there's a, there's a you know one woman she came out and there's a picture that's circulating around and she's like, "No, I was completely okay with that." And that's that's fine if she was completely okay with that. I've knew got Joe friends enough. I embrace and but I I Joe, kiss. But and... Joe Biden is doing it to I mean there are scores of women. And I, I well obviously Lucy Flores wasn't okay with it and she's a grown woman, you know. Well, what I mean? say throw all the grown women so, out. Look at this video alone. Well, no, no, no. It, it, it does. I'm just saying like it's a pattern with him. It's it's it there is something wrong. Right. right. Now, how does this loop back into old Governor Ralph and, and all them? Because there are some who want to treat him differently, and I gotta feel like it's because he's a Democrat. It, Who am I talking about? It has to be uh, Alyssa Milano. Case in point, Alyssa, I'll sit behind Kavanaugh and glare at the hearings. Milano, I believe. Said about I, I Biden, believe Christine Blasey Ford. Yeah, because she has said this happened. Because she has said this happened. This is what she. This was her quotes on Twitter. I respect Lucy Flores' decision to share her story and agree with Biden that we must all pay attention to it. But just as we must believe women that decide to come forward, we cannot assume all women's experiences are the same. What? I believe that Joe Biden's intent has never been to make anyone uncomfortable and that his kind, empathetic leadership is what our country needs, especially now. He wanted to feel right. up nine young girls during, well, a, during a congressional swearing in. What intent? What good? It, there was no... Watch those videos and tell me there's any good intent. And I can't help but believe that Alyssa Milano has not seen those videos because they get scrubbed. They it's, get yeah. taken down. Those awesome. videos are not easy to find. Like you have to dig the ones that stayed up on YouTube have 2 million, you know, 3 million, 4 million hits. They're all innocuous uh, things you could easily write off. Yeah. Uh, none of this really gross, damning stuff. Well, so I have to believe Alyssa Milano just hasn't seen it. Yeah. Well, well, here's what I want to do. I want to step out for just a second. I want to take a step back. And, you know, I, I've, I've made, I'm right there with you. I've made my feelings clear on the evidence that I've seen with Joe Biden, how I feel about what I saw. But I'm just going to step back from that for just a second. She said, believe all women. And now she's telling me that not all women's experiences are the same. Mm. I believe that there were people at the time during the Kavanaugh hearings who said, how do we know that what Christine Blasey Ford perceived was actually what happened? Da, 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 da. And that was not okay back then. Right. But now all of a sudden it is. Now well, all of a sudden Joe Biden's intent matters. So in a sense, I'm, I'm, I'm happy if she's willing to take a, a less breathless approach to these cases and like look at them on the merits and judge the evidence. Well, I think stuff. we all, is we that all think happening? that that's what we should do, right? That's right. how both you and I felt yeah. about the Kavanaugh case. Yes, right? is that you should take it and, and analyze it for its merits. But if you're just going to do it with Joe Biden, 
If if this is you, you know this is your big moment now you're ready to do it because it's Joe Biden right well which is kind of the same thing that I'm saying up here with Northam right now all of a sudden blackface is okay and don't get me wrong there is a poll that shows that 56 percent of Black Virginians are okay with Ralph Northam being in office I'm not going to argue with that yeah okay if 56 percent of Black Virginians are okay with Ralph Northam being in office that's fine however. If it was a Republican who was caught to have been wearing blackface back in the 80s, do we think that everybody would be okay with that Republican staying in office? No, I, I do not. I and don't what think I'm so. saying is, whatever the difference there is, that's what you're upset about. Right. And the you're difference not is upset, politics. Yeah, you're not upset about the blackface. No, I think it's obvious. You look at Alyssa Milano, you look at those people who who hold these disparate views, and you have to you have to admit that what they're doing is saying that the race racial aspect the the racist behavior is not as important as their as their political service right right so if if their political service is poor and they've engaged in this racist behavior all of a sudden it's off the table however right. if your political service aligns with mine right. then blackface and racist behavior something is something i can, I can excuse and yeah. forgive and yeah. and that to me is the sign of of a brainwashed populace i mean i yeah. i don't know any other way to put it but straight up brainwash you have to be in a totally non-critical frame of mind uh to take that approach and that's and that's the the arguments that you hear about northam you hear uh you know some people are saying you know well he apologized let's not act for a second like ralph northam did any kind of special apology or was contrived about oh it. mr his, moonwalking tried to moonwalk at his press conference and not to mention since that happened there was an incident where the Virginia State uh, House, the pages, which are typically high school kids, they, you know, they basically they're like gophers almost for, uh, you know, the lawmakers and stuff. They visited the governor's mansion and his wife handed out cotton to the black pages and said, try to picture yourself picking cotton what? and think about. Yeah. So, uh, you know, she says that she's done that on all the tours for all the pages. She said she didn't just single out the black kids. The black kids said that she did. I don't know. Dude, in with that having happened, maybe let's not hand out cotton, right? <laughs> so, so no, they haven't been especially uh, smooth in the way they've handled it. As far as Justin Fairfax, his story... The, Who was or, Justin, or, uh, Fairfax? Justin Fairfax? is the lieutenant governor who's been accused by two women of having uh, sexually assaulted them. Okay. And the stories, unlike Kavanaugh, have contemporaneous corroboration the the women told people that not only were they attacked back then, but Justin Fairfax did it. Okay, I mean, there's all these things that people were saying. Oh well, you know, these are kind of the problems with Christine. Those aren't really present here, or at least they're less present. And when you look at the stories, there's not missing gaps and details. Mm. It's this happened here, and this is what happened. We're not even talking. Who is Justin Fairfax? Yeah, is what who you is just Justin? Exactly. Me. You just asked me that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, it, there's a noticeable difference in how these things are being treated. And what I'm saying is not only. Are you giving fuel to the other side and 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 giving the impression that all this is just a political ploy, but you're also underselling the you're 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 eroding the base. It's kind of like with Jesse Smollett, which we talked about in a bonus episode. You're eroding the base that that you use to make charges when these things happen improperly. Right. It's like a, the a next boy who guy, cried wolf type of the situation. The next guy who's grabbing young girls like Joe Biden, if he's a Republican, he's gonna be like what about Joe Biden? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you can't do this, guys. You cannot let your political affiliations govern how you view things to this extent. It just can't happen.
well, I would say it can happen. It is happening and it, and it will continue to happen. Mm. Um, and, and I think what we get, we're going to get, uh, we're going to get worse on both sides. We're going to have, uh, Democrats who are able to rock blackface and be, and make racist jokes and touch little girls. And you're going to have Democrats support it. And you're going to have, uh, on the, on the other side, you're gonna have Republicans who can be white nationalists and, and, and white supremacists and, and, violent haters and the Republicans are going to support it because they go, look how bad these Democrats are painting it on the other side. They were wrong about Smollett. They were wrong about the Covington kids. They must be wrong about this one. So this is how we retreat further and further into, into idiocy, into, into, you know, the worst. And and look at, and look at how Biden acted about this. I mean, it's not, yeah, he, he apologized. And then what the next day he's, he's hugging a guy at a, at a rally or something says, Oh, don't worry. I have permission. Like, That makes me sick to my stomach in held up next to these videos of, of, of children. Like if someone had touched my daughter that way um, and she pulled away and it stopped, that'd be, that'd be the end of it. Yeah. But if someone had touched my daughter that way, she pulled away and they pull her back and continue. Like we're going to have really harsh words. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't know, man. I don't know. No, I get you. No, it is. It is. It it you do see us kind of slipping into idiocy and some of these tweets are crazy, especially these from Milano. But while we're talking about idiotic tweets, um, there was a tweet this week, uh, that just really roasted my onions. It, it, it did. It did. And, uh, did it was it saute actually your mushrooms. Too? Yeah, it did. It did. Uh, there was a tweet, um, from, I believe the sense and theory podcast from the official <laughs> don't say. sense and theory Twitter account. And uh, what what exactly did that tweet say? Uh, well, so someone was talking about Five Guys, how great it was, best burger ever, or something. And I popped in and I said, "Yeah, it'd be it'd be great if they seasoned their burgers." Now here's the thing: we co-run the Sense and Theory podcast Twitter account, and and heretofore there have been times where you know I've argued with people in strong defense of capitalism and you have argued with people in strong defense of you know socialism or whatever <laughs> and we've talked to each other we've been like you cool with me not indicating that it was me like you're okay with that and we're like yeah no it's cool man you know maybe people will figure it out maybe they won't you know but it makes us look more balanced really you know it's great it's great uh this was the line bro you diverged this on, was the on line five guys this was five guys is delicious here's the thing it man. is it is it is a delicious burger and and I, it's Obama's favorite burger. The buns, the buns are great. The fries are great. I think it's awesome. You got a restaurant. They got the potatoes stacked up in the bags. Yeah. When you come in. It's awesome. You know, you know, they're hand cutting the fries. They let you get fresh jalapenos on the burger. Like, I'm not complaining. No one yeah. in the world can. Nowhere in the world can you get fresh. You can get those little pickled sons oh, of bitches. Yeah, those, yeah. Nat, you know, and we don't want that. The fresh jalapeno. Burgers you get are hot the and sauteed fresh. onions and the sauteed mushrooms. And then you bite into the thing and the meat chunk has no salt. None. Zero. It, it doesn't. Zip, it doesn't need any because it's a ju- juicy, delicious piece of meat. You're with, white with as shit. On it, you don't it even salt no, 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 your no, no, meat. No, 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 no. I, I do believe in seasoning. I, I strongly believe in seasoning. What Just I'm not saying, when it comes to Five Guys. With Five Guys, I'm saying they've put together a product that requires no seasoning. It's delicious. And on that, you and I disagree. Well, we are going to continue this argument on a future bonus episode. So there you go, uh, folks. If you want to hear us argue about our meat then please, you know, subscribe to the Patreon and there will be a bonus episode at some point where we will settle this thing. I'm more of an A&W guy personally. Oh, you son of a bitch. All right, moving on. What else we got here? Uh, well, 
I think we would be remiss if we didn't spend some time talking about the college admissions scandal that mm. has kind of rocked the nation over the past couple of weeks. To its core. <laughs> we're talking Operation Varsity Blues. Uh, 50 people were charged in a college admissions scheme where folks were uh, engaging in all sorts of nasty behavior to get their kids into college. Uh, people got caught. Some, some big names got caught up. Lori Laughlin, mm-hmm. uh, Felicity Huffman. I think not uh, him picky. <laughs> <laughs> there were multiple SAT and ACT administrators caught in the dragnet and charged, uh, along with nine athletic coaches. I think it was something like thirty parents, um, and and the rest of the fifty people were were somehow involved in the school or affiliated with the schools. Uh, we're talking Yale, USC, Georgetown, Stanford, University of Texas, and UCLA. Now, interesting enough. Harvard was unsullied in this investigation, right? Um, but who knows? You know, maybe they just didn't didn't catch those folks. Uh, but essentially, what happened was what had happened was, yeah. Um, people were paying this guy the key is what is his his name was the key. I mean, that's what he had Ooh. people call him. It's like he's his, a spy. Yeah, his organization was called like the Key Financial Group or something like that, and yeah. and he had set up a, a nonprofit organization. But basically, people would come to him to get their students into college and and he would make it happen. And over the course of eight years or so, investigators got him taking $25 million yeah. um, to, to do things for people, right? So, yeah. so what kinds of things are we talking about? This isn't, you know, I think we all know that if your name is on a building at a college campus, your, your kid's probably getting into the school. Doesn't matter if he's smart or not. Doesn't matter what's great. He's probably getting in. We all know that kind of thing happens. That's not what this was. Um, you had, you had a guy that went so far as to Photoshop kids faces onto athletes pictures to send in with their college application. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so in one case, daughter didn't even, never even step foot on a soccer field. Didn't play the high school. Didn't even have a soccer team (laughs) that she came from. And he poses her as the star athlete, you know what I'm saying? To get her into college. Um, and of course, uh, you think, well, what happens when she gets in there and it's time for her to play? And the coach is like scratching to this girl's never even kicked a soccer ball. Well, he faked an injury for her yeah, so that she didn't have to play for six months. And after six yeah, months, the coaches were being paid. No, well, right? coaches yeah. were being paid in right. some cases. I don't yeah. think the coach was involved in that one. Yeah. Well, there's like 10 coaches. There were like, coaches, coaches, coaches yeah, yeah. being paid. And, and those are straight up, you know, cash and briefcase payments. Uh, a lot of them were washed through, uh, through the keys, uh, uh, his key financial group, which was a, a non charity, yeah, yeah, a charity yeah. set up to funnel these payments through. Um, and and this goes so deep. He he would set up uh, uh, medical uh, medical consultations mm-hmm. and and told parents your kid needs to needs to play dumb during this. And basically, we need to get a disability waiver so that he can take the SAT or ACT alone with extra time. And he says, we'll set you up at a, at a college where I know, where I know the people I'll pay the people he'll get the, he'll get the good score. And, and this is, this is from the transcripts of the investigation quote. So here's what we need to do. And I think I mentioned this to your wife. We need to get your daughter tested for a learning difference. And let's say it's my person that does it or really whoever you want to do it. I need that person to get her 100% extended time over multiple days. So what that means is we'll have to show that there's some discrepancies in her learning, which there's got to be anyway. And if she gets 100%, Gordon, then, well, I own two schools and I can have her test at one of my schools and I can guarantee her a score. Mm. I mean, that's that's big stuff, right? Well, I mean, 
You're telling me that there are rich people pulling strings to help their kids get ahead? No, they're not pulling strings. This is this is like baked into the institution, right? It's well, not no, no, just I mean, this pulling guy, strings is making a call to your to your frat buddy. No, wait a minute. Baked into the institution. This guy owns an organization that's outside of the institution, and he's bribing officials at the institution to get that done. And those people that are taking bribes are baked into the institutions. Yes, and there's lots of them. Yeah, it's but I mean, not just it's not just a frat connection where you're like, hey, buddy, uh, my, my son's kind of a dummy, but I need him in Harvard. And, and he, oh, no problem. No problem. That to me, that's pulling strings. When you go from that to here's a briefcase full of twenty five thousand dollars cash that I'm going to launder through my my charity it, organization and pay directly to a coach that it well, it becomes a crime. But oh, wait a minute. You, you don't mean to tell me that collegiate coaches are on the take. <laughs> oh well, no of course they are of course they are in fact actually there's an open investigation that's kind of being outshined by this uh of adidas uh paying players but of course they aren't those players uh, you know for the most part are from low-income families they're not rich and wealthy so very quickly that investigation was eclipsed by this investigation which has celebrities in it. well it has a couple celebrities in it but i don't think that's the reason it got big i think the reason it got big um, is because people were surprised at the level of of corruption here, the uh, level of blatant corruption. And you and you shake your head, and we talked about this. And I, I got to be clear for our listeners: theory thinks that we're that that people like me are kind of blowing this out of proportion. I do that yeah. uh, that we should have all known that corruption exists, and and rich people will do what it takes to get their kids in, and that and well, that we no, should. No, here's here's the thing, actually, and, and and I don't even I don't even like the way you said that that people will go to extreme lengths to pull strings for their kids, mm. whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whoever you are. Now, am I trying to diminish their crime? No, I'm not. They committed a crime. Whatever the penalties are for that crime, they should definitely go to jail. But the problem is, is that the reaction to this thing has been just, uh, people are just blown away. Oh, well, I had no idea that there was such corruption. And I, I, I think it's horseshit. That's crazy. I, I think that it's largely a, a it's, it's, been, it's being politicized. And it's being racialized and it's being, you know, it's, it's running with all these narratives and stuff and people are pushing this thing. Well, let's talk about those aspects in a minute. But I think if I asked you six months ago, if, if there was a guy with a, with a charity organization set up that has, that has taken $25 million to, to, to fix people's college applications, take tests for them, Photoshop, fake, uh, fake documents for admissions. Like, you, you would have just been like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yes. <laughs> that's crazy because I've yes. been like, no, nah, that's over the top. Surely someone would have blown the whistle. Like, he couldn't operate like that, you know, above board for, for 10 years. Like, a, a charity organization? Perhaps I would have seen. a legit $25 million charity company? Like, Perhaps I would have seen a 2018 New York Post article that came out last spring that said there is a trend amongst rich parents of getting medical disqual you know getting medical extra time added to their SAT tests. Mm. New York I Post mean, is that what that you That was said? in the New York Post last spring. Maybe that's one of the reasons, you know, maybe that was a leak from from this investigation. Maybe that's I one of the reasons been. this investigation picked up steam. Could have been. Maybe well, we should be applauding the New York Post for their it's, investigative it's, journalism. It's my understanding that this investigation springs from a Securities and Exchange Commission investigation where they had this guy for fraud and he was like you know, hey man, ease up on my sentence. This coach over here at USC, I believe it was, is on the take. Mm. And that's where this investigation kind of sprang from. Okay. And then eventually the FBI picked it up and everything. What 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 I'm saying is 
I'm not saying that what these people didn't do or what these people did is, isn't wrong. It's, it's absolutely wrong. Okay. But a minute ago you said that this isn't like, you know, these people putting their names on the building and then their kids go to school. I, yeah, it is. I mean, they've crossed a line here and that makes it criminal yeah, it's levels, man. But dude, do you know that there is actually, there is an investigation into Harvard. Uh, there's a suit being filed by Asian American students about the admission practices at Harvard. Yes. And one of the things that's uncovered in that is that there is a Dean's pref, uh, what is it? I think it's called the Dean's preferred list mm. or something like that of students that they look at based on how, able their parents are to donate to the university. <laughs> okay. So once again, they're not breaking any laws, right? Because you know, but people are being admitted to college solely based on the ability of their parents to donate to well, the see, school. And, and, and that doesn't surprise me. And if, if that's all this was, I would be much the same way. Um, you know, I'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. Typical, typical corruption. To me, this steps over a huge line. Um, into into broad scale institutional corruption, especially in a time where we're talking about the one percent. When at a, at a time when on on the right you've got people saying the American dream is real, lift yourself up by your bootstraps, and 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 then something like this comes up. But I, and it's with like the holy of this shit. Case, how do you make a case with the nature of this case in particular? And and I'm going to for a moment focus on the coaches. How do you make a case with the case that you highlighted, which almost has to be, I, I understand what you're saying, but for them to, for them to pass off that girl as being a part of the soccer pro, I, I almost guarantee you the coach was bribed on that. Okay. <laughs> but so how do you make a case for it being an institutional problem at the university, which I believe there are institutional problems at the university that I've just I mean, highlighted. obviously, yeah, Harvard. Yeah, that I've just highlighted. Um, but how do you make a case for this particular, like reinforcing that? Because to me, this is very much so someone who figured out how to game the system and started selling it to rich parents. And he found people on the inside who were willing to take it. Now that does mean that there are dirty people in administration, but there are dirty people in, in all walks of life, man. We, we catch people committing fraud everywhere all the time. Well, and that's kind of why I'm, why I'm glad to see this story blow up like it has. Right. Um, I think we need to celebrate our wins. There's, there's part of me that knows in the same way that when a, when a police station makes a big drug bust and they haul out the drugs, put them on the table for the, for the photo op, for the newspaper and the news stories the next day, um, they, they're building public support for the police department. They're getting better, better budget for next year. So to do anything but blow this story up as big as it can be and put it in front of as many people as possible, as egregiously as possible, is, is a disservice. I think we need as a society to stand up against corruption, right. uh, especially this sort of corruption that attacks the very ideals and foundations of America. The, this, this represents to me, it's bigger than just the story. It represents um, the fight of the, of the common man versus the 1% versus the elite. Um, and, and to do anything but like lift this up loudly and clap our hands and cheer and say, yes, Justice Department, we need more of these investigations. Um, then you're, then you're doing a disservice. You're, you're failing. I, I disagree. And, and I'm gonna tell you why. And it's, it's partly because of the way that you just framed it and partly the way that this story was framed the week that it come out. Right. So there has been this strong push to frame it. Like you said, it is a, a giant victory against the 1%. And, uh, you know, I've also seen that it's, it's a pushback against white supremacy. And this is the, the best example in the world of white privilege and, and, and all those things. And that's fine. But to go back and look at what you said about the, the uh, showing the drug bus, how did the war on drugs turn out? 
right? Because what we did was we bombarded people with the view of these big drug busts and we told them about all these evil drug dealers and stuff. And so we just started throwing money at it and throwing money at it. And then that war on drugs kind of got out of hand, right? Militarizing police. Now we're kicking indoors, throwing flashbangs in the cribs of babies and stuff. Well, that's my fear here and in a little bit different sense, but let me explain why. Do you feel like this is a problem that that where the conversation should be racialized? Do you believe that black affluent parents wouldn't do the same thing for their kids? No. In fact, I I think if you extended this investigation out, you would, you would find fairly proportional representation of black parents. (laughs) And do you think that this impulse that these people are erroneous, erroneously acting on is limited just to the wealthy 1%. Yes and no. No, the impulse, no. But, but they the means, have the means. The, the means are, are, what, are what separates. Right. right. So absolutely. And I say, once again, when they cross that line, when that impulse drives them to do something criminal, by all means, let's bust it. But, but when you put it up there and you say this is a smashing victory against the 1%, that also, that, that frames it as if by doing this, the 1% are actively trying to fuck you. And, and what's happening is now we're seeing people who are filing lawsuits against the schools and stuff. And I understand the lawsuits on the grounds that, in fact, I was reading how one of the suits went off. And the idea behind the suit was I paid an admission or an application fee and you did not take suitable steps to ensure that your application process was, you know, I get it from that standpoint. However, to argue that I feel like it's been internalized for some people and they're like, it's this kid getting in is why I didn't get in. No, that kid getting in could be the reason why 7,000 kids didn't get in. And it's something that we got to keep an eye on, but you can't take it. People are taking it personally because it's being sold to them the way you're selling. I guess I see what you mean. So if you take an attitude on this and you're saying, oh, well, you're just supporting white supremacy, you know, you're a white supremacist or or you're an evil one percenter. Eh, you're just kind of looking out for your kids and, 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 but everyone else would be damned. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, I know. And I'm, I'm saying it's not right, but you're never going to eliminate this impulse. Like people are always going to cross the line for their kids. People are going to, you know, there's, there's people who have paid off judges. There's people who have, you know, done it. And, and, and that's, that's, what I'm that's exactly why I'm so happy about this. And that's why I, I can't, I can't even muster a lick of criticism for any of the coverage. Now, granted, I yeah. didn't see, maybe there's wacky coverage that didn't hit my feed. You know, maybe I, just, I didn't see me, any of the racial the arguments it's, or anything are. like that. I promise you. Uh, but, but to me, uh, big victory, corruption, a huge problem. It ruins capitalism. If, if there's a, if there's failures of socialism that, that ruins socialism at the extreme end, corruption is the failure of capitalism that ruins capitalism. And I think our institutions, <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> Under socialism, this problem still exists. Yeah, you're right. You're that's right. that's what I'm trying to get across. All these problems still exist. You know, again, the the deal with the 2018, the New York Post thing about the the uh, the getting the medical exemptions for more time on the SATs. They say that being a legacy admission adds 160 points to your SAT score for the for the process <laughs> of being admitted into some of these schools. In 2011, there was like 20 students who were. Uh, caught bribing uh, the, the SAT administrators. I think to me, instead of worrying about busting up the 1%, and again, dude, like it's not like I'm upset that these people got arrested, but I think that we need to have a broader conversation about de-emphasizing 
the importance that we put on things like college. Because when you see these people talking about college and everything and how important it is, they're like, well, I didn't get a chance to go into an Ivy League school. I just want to leave our listeners with this and I'll shut up about it and y'all can victory dance and spike the ball and do all that, okay? Your major, it's, it's studies have shown that your major has more to do with how much money you're going to earn in life than which school you got admitted into. Huh. Studies have conclusively shown. That's funny because, uh, you know, Lori Laughlin's daughter, she didn't even want to go to school. She's a social media influencer <laughs> with like millions of followers and stuff. Yeah. She's probably making a killing already. And she tweeted this out or Instagrammed this out or something. I don't know how much of school I'm going to attend, but I'm going to go in and talk to my deans and everyone and hope I can try to balance it all, Jade continued. But I do want the experience of like game days, partying. I don't really <laughs> care about school, as you guys all know. No, and, like and, what kind of elitist shit? Your mom paid millions of dollars to get you into an Ivy League school, and you're gonna go party yeah. and go to game days. No, and I actually I read that she is now actually furious with her mother because she lost all her like uh, relationships with like cosmetic because that's what she did as an influencer was like push cosmetics. Well, she's lost all that stuff. So her revenue is gone. I'm sorry for that. I'm not sorry. Not sorry. You know what I'm saying? It well, kind of sucks. She Here she is forcing her daughter to go to college. Yeah. She doesn't even want to go. Girl clearly didn't want to go, man. It's it's gross, really. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's is, almost the worst thing. Yeah, the whole thing is gross. Gross, yeah. gross. What do we have next? Well, I'll tell you what. And uh, we, we have a, a positive note. Yes. Get this. All right. So it would appear that Republicans and Democrats may have found an issue that they can agree on. That's crazy talk. <laughs> Senate Republicans led by Lindsey Graham have finally started looking into mandatory arbitration clauses, a practice that has become widespread in corporate America. Now, you may ask me, what is a mandatory arbitration clause? Well, it's it's a contract clause that prevents a conflict from going to a judicial court. Between employee and employer. That means that any conflict must be solved through arbitration. Uh, in this process, neutral arbiters review the evidence presented, then they decide the outcome. How much money is owed and all that good stuff. It's, it's also known as an arbitration award. But basically, by, by filling out uh, your new hire packet, if it's got this mandatory arbitration clause in it, then if you have a dispute with your employer over wages, discrimination, or something like that, you have signed away the right to take them to court. <laughs> you can only enter into these arbitration proceedings. That seems like totally not only scummy, but it seems like it should be unconstitutional. I don't know which amendment that would run afoul. Oh, <laughs> Well, no, I guess it's not a criminal proceeding, so not right to no, a fair it's, trial. It's in there, and it can be read. So it's you know nobody did anything against their will per se. But when you're sitting there on your first day at work, you know I know that happens at my job a lot when we hire people in. It's your first day at work, and you're trying to impress your new boss. So you're just kind of running through that new hire packet and stuff, and before you know it, now you signed away some of your rights. Well, not you to know? mention by the time you get into a new job, you've left your old job. You're you're on the hook, man. It's not like you can say, whoa, 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 I don't agree with it. Like what, you're left without a job? They're gonna turn you away. You're going back home with no paycheck. Yeah. Like it's it's if you don't agree, you're kind of screwed. So you kind of have to agree. Well, there's there's problems with the arbitration process too. So a 2011 study from Cornell University found that the employee win rate amongst arbitration cases was 21.4%, which is lower than the employee win rates reported in employment uh, litigation trials. So off the bat, uh, less people are succeeding in, in arbitration than would in a court of law right. where you've got attorneys and judges who are accustomed to handling 
uh, the details of the cases. It sounds like these arbitration boards may have a little bit of corruption of their own. There are some indications of that, though I was unable to find it. You know, there's like there's hints of that. I saw hints of that in articles. You know, obviously some employers have their their preferred arbitrator that, you know, hey, can we go to this guy and everything? And, well, it sounds you know. a lot like uh, the Washington Post coming out with the story, yeah. uh, you know, about uh, increasing medical exemptions on testing. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. saying where there's smoke, sometimes there's fire. Right. Well, also, the study found that in cases won by employees, the median award amount was 36500 and the mean was 109858 both of which are substantially lower than the award amounts reported in employment litigation. Right. So and not only are people winning less, tri less uh, proceedings, but they're also getting less money when they do win. Well, and let's not pretend like <clears throat> the HR industry is not uh, solely dedicated to, to you know, lowering... Uh, employer liability right i mean we have a whole segment of 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 work of business that's dedicated to lowering em employer liability right and and now here we have these arbitration clauses well they're not going to put them in if if they're if they're raising liability yeah, you know? yeah. so the, these policies are always on behalf of the comp company they always favor the company over the employee I, right. I there's no question otherwise they wouldn't point them in put them in they just let them go to trial right right well, it should be noted like, okay, so on the arbitration side, there are benefits to arbitration for people. So lest we, lest we paint this, you know, with too broad a brush and say that it is this like, you know, insidious screw job. Uh, we have to note that that same study also found that in 97% of the cases, the employer uh, through the arbitration process had to pick up the cost of the arbitration. Okay. So, uh, you know, yeah, but if what well, the five thousand dollar cost, they're saving forty thousand dollars on the judgment. No, I think it costs a little bit more than five thousand dollars. But it's important to note that we're talking about people who may not be able uh, to afford a lawyer to take their employer to court. This well, is giving them some measure of and, justice, and that's fine. And that's I don't really have a problem with with arbitration in general because I this happens in a lot of a lot of spheres. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there, there are these arbitration boards set up for disputes, and and I think it's a good thing. I mean, I, I think if if both employer and employee agree, yeah. let's take this to arbitration. Let's not clog up the courts. We don't need to do that. Then that's fine. Yeah. And I would also say that another another benefit to arbitration is the the arbitr what are you, arbiters? Arbiters? Yeah, I guess we call them arbiters. Arbitration. Wasn't an arbiter like a halo villain or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's weird. But anyway, the arbiters uh, are are more free in their judgments. Sure. So sometimes you get you know, like actually really good judgments to say you are responsible for this, but you're not responsible for that. And it's like m the most equitable decision that you may not have gotten in the court, which oftentimes is very all or nothing. Right. And, because and, of the constraints of the court. And again, I think I think if you if you have the choice of arbitration, that's, that's offer it key. up. But that's if you're the removing key. the ability of an employee to enter into the court of law that we have created to <laughs> yeah. provide justice. Yeah. You are you are doing a disservice and possibly, hopefully, running afoul of the Constitution. No, the yeah, the absolute key is if you have the choice. Of course, it makes sense, but when you start limiting choices, then you're limiting justice. I mean, just so, straight up. So, what's the deal here? So, Republicans are pushing for this. Do we have any Democratic support? I mean, oh no, no, no! You've got uh, mountains of Democratic support. So here where we're at, the the Democrats have for some time been introducing bills. Uh, to go at arbitration. Uh, in fact, the most recent one that I can remember reading about was, I think, by Richard Blumenthal, or maybe is it Sidney Blumenthal or Richard? Blumenthal? I don't know how you remember Senator all these Blumenthal, anyway. and it was uh, about a year or two ago. 
Um, but there have been, you know, I think four bills from the Democratic side uh, since I think 2011, 2012 uh, to go after arbitration. And the Republicans at the time had not, uh, they didn't come out and say, we're not trying to pass this bill. They just didn't say nothing. And they were letting them die in the Senate. Like they just weren't doing anything. Oh, of course. Because right? now well, they've got the spotlight. Well, no, here's the thing with the, the Me Too movement, actually believe it or not, has thrust this into the limelight and forced them to have to answer questions. And when they were confronted with answering the question, because there are people from the Me Too movement, uh, you know, uh, uh, doing sexual assault allegations and stuff like that, who can't sue their employers. Oh, and when oh, the Republican, so there was some overlap there. So when the Republican politicians were questioned about it, you know, it kind of put them on the spot. And now they're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Screw arbitration. <laughs> so it's not... Um, it's not solid yet. You know, I mean, like they're having hearings in the hearings. Uh, you can, you know, feel free to go and look. I'll have sources uh, in the hearings. They're, they're really giving the business to some of these people who are writing the contracts. The Republican senators are. So, good. you know, yeah, good for them. Uh, but it's going to have to come from Congress. And let me explain why. The Supreme Court just ruled last year that as laws are written right now, they cannot, the Supreme court cannot stop mandatory arbitration. Wow. Gorsuch wrote the main opinion. Uh, Bader Ginsburg got real upset about it because she's worried about how it's going to, uh, uh, depower the unions and how it interplays with unions and stuff. But you know, rightly or wrongly, you know, I didn't, this is one of the few times I didn't just like get into a Supreme court decision, but I didn't, uh, they have, uh, they ruled that they, as the laws stand, mandatory arbitration can stand. But all Congress has to do is pass a law. Yeah, and all they got to do is pass a damn bill. And that's what Ginsburg actually said in her dissent. She said Congress needs to address this right now. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure in this <laughs> in this environment, I'm not sure that Democrats can muster the strength to 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 shake hands with Republicans on anything, uh, even if, if it's something as obvious as arbitration. Well, hopefully, if it's anything, it's this. Like if, like I said, the Democrats have been championing this for so long that if Republicans come around, it, it's just going to be a naked show of partisanship if you don't shake hands and do this. What I'm more worried about is Republicans paying lip service, and then when the bill starts to come up, they're going to try to neuter it in some way, yeah, or provide an out. But this is one of those things, and I'm going to put that, you know, right up there with, you know, the Warren bill that we were talking about short. Guys, this is something where it's time to call your congressman. Yeah. Like, the Republicans have shown that they're willing to move on this. This is screwing more and more people every day. More and more companies are adding these to their contracts. So get in touch with your congressman. Tell them that this is something that you care about. I'm sorry that I can't point you to a bill right now. They don't have a bill. There's just they're just having hearings. Well, but tell them that mandatory arbitration clauses are something that you want to see done away with. And I'll tell you what I will do um, on this episode on our website. If you go to senseandtheorypodcast.com and you click on this episode, uh, I will give you a nice little form you can punch in your zip code. And it will spit out your representatives, much likely like we did with the Warren bill. Um, and I'll give you a little snippet. You can make a phone call. You can send an email. It'll list their Twitters, uh, mm -hmm. their Facebooks. Get in touch with your representatives and tell them this is something you want to see passed. These people represent us. It's time to reach out and, and ask them to do right by the people. These arbitration clauses, they're not helping anyone. Right. So uh, get out there and, and tell them to support it. And Maybe they will. Yeah. <laughs> and and just like with the Warren bill, uh, we will from time to time uh, keep you guys posted with updates. We will do our best to remember and come back to it. 
and say, hey, you know, there's going to be a vote next week. Now's the time. Call, call, call. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll try to keep you guys in the loop on both these things to the best of our ability. You know, it would be real nice. It'd be nice if, if our listenership and us could engage in like a partnership to actually make things happen. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, no, it would. It would, <laughs> it would be outstanding. So listeners, I'm asking you, get involved, make it happen. Yeah. That is, uh, I think that's about as positive as this show gets. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think we, at this point we could just like ride into the sunset. Everybody's feeling good, but we got one more story. Yeah. What do you want to talk about? Uh, so I guess we're going to talk about, uh, child pornography. Wh uh, what? No. <laughs> uh, so the U S government has been, uh, charging lots and lots of people, uh, with possession of child pornography. It's really, right. uh, these investigations have really taken off. Uh, lots of people are getting busted. They're getting charged. They're getting jailed. Um, but there is this really strange trend of charges being dropped in some cases. Right. So uh, according to a ProPublica report, um, there there is a rash uh, so far. I think they have identified something like a dozen cases since 2011. And they quote uh, Miss Tammy Lowers, who is a forensic expert who often testifies in child pornography cases, saying that she is aware of more than 60 cases in which this has become a central issue. But basically, the defense is challenging the methods that law enforcement has used in order to, uh, you know, get Gather the warrant evidence. and the indictment right. uh, for the child pornography case. And the government, rather than going into the details of the, the software and methods that they're using to do this, they're just dropping the case and walking away. And so by no means, if we're talking about a dozen cases since 2011, and even if she knows of 60 more cases and ProPublica is still digging, they said they're going through volumes of stuff trying to find these cases. Um, by no means is this an epidemic, but I got to tell you, when I hear that, my radar starts going off because one of the things that I think of is... If you're wrongly accused in one of these cases, how do you clear your name if the government just drops the case? That's an interesting thing I, I'd never considered. Because to me, if, if, if I'm innocent of the charges and the case is dropped, you know, that's, that, that seems best case scenario for me. Although, if you've been dragged through the mud publicly. If you get arrested for child porn, I promise your picture is on the night is on the local news. Yeah. So 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 there yeah. is there is that part that that you know you want to go through the justice part. You want to clear your name. Right, right. And if the government's saying so so these people are are using the defense that oh you you slurped up uh my IP address in some kind of dragnet, um, and and an IP address is is a flawed piece of evidence. I mean, right. uh, for example, if you have an open Wi-Fi network or an old Wi-Fi network with a vulnerability, um, you know, someone can drive by your house, connect to your Wi-Fi network, and and download child porn onto their device, and boom, your IP's flagged. Right. That's a very real danger. And in fact, it's why we can't use IP addresses to get warrants. You know what well, I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, actually, like, we we don't we don't know a lot about the the methods that they're using because, like I said, they keep dropping cases. But as far as what we do know, this is from the ProPublica report. They said, the software programs used by investigators scan for child porn on peer-to-peer -peer networks, a decentralized connection of computers on the internet where users share files directly with one another. Right. So so peer-to-peer -peer network, um, basically, in a typical internet interaction, you've got a server and you've got a user. And the user requests a file from the server and the server sends it back, right? A peer-to-peer -peer network decentralizes this process. It's, it's, it's like Napster was the first uh, big right. example of this. So if I have a file 
uh, I will uh, I will create a seed for that file. Mm-hmm. Now, the first person that downloads that file starts downloading it off me, you know, and they're getting it in chunks because that's how files work across the Internet. You send a little chunk at a time. Yeah. Um, and as you are downloading this file, now someone else connects to the cloud, uh, to the seed. They're going to get some of the chunks that you already have from you, and yeah. they're going to get some of the chunks over here from this other person. And as that cloud gets bigger and bigger... More and more people <clears throat> participate. More and more people are now giving it to others. Right. Yeah, and, right. and you're not giving them the, f- the full file. Right, you're just right, giving right. them a small chunk of data that's later put back together uh, you know, into this whole, pi- into this whole file. Um, there's another really interesting piece of this puzzle. Now, I couldn't verify this from the ProPublica piece, mm-hmm. but... I kind of divined that this was going on. The dark web operates on that same principle, right. but it turns the whole internet into, into that type of system. Right. Um, and, and when you're browsing, when you're doing all these things, um, you're just doing it in little chunks. You know, hundreds of other computers are involved in your little chunking, and it's mm-hmm. all encrypted end to end. And what this relies on is, is something called an exit node that essentially, I'm not going to get into the, the super details. Look it up if you're interested. Uh, don't crucify me if I if I screw yeah. this up too bad. No, I think but essentially the exit node uh, is where all of these things exit and and become whole. So if you run a dark web exit node, there's all kinds of things going across your software, across your physical hardware, your computer, your router, your internet connection, your IP address that have nothing to do with you. Yeah. Right. You have just opened up this computer as a as a platform for all these things to happen and it's all encrypted. So you don't, you don't know what it is. Well, and I think, I think that is where the first part of these defense attorneys, I think the case that they're trying to build, that's where the first part comes in because basically they're making the, the assertion that one of two things has happened. Either the government has accessed areas of the suspect's computer that they should not have had access to, or they have uh, said that the images were going to be on this machine. And then when they got there, they weren't on that machine. And what they're saying is that it sounds to them like you're simply basing this off that IP address or the fact that you saw this go through. Well, and the interesting thing is that the government is saying that's not the case. So what came out is that the government is engaging with, um, I think specifically, what was it, TransUnion, which is a a credit reporting agency. Um, Experian is another one. These companies amass massive amounts of data. They, they exist to profile people um, at, a, at a very uh, granular level. Right. And, and they sell that data to, to creditors and to lenders and, and, and things like that. Um, the government, in, the, in these cases, are using transunion data to, to build profiles of people, right? So, so it's not solely the IP address that they're using. My... What I think is going on is that that's a piece of the puzzle, but they don't want to turn over everything that they use for one, because, because now the criminals know the methods that are being used against them. Right. So it's much easier to hide. And that's what they're saying. Let me sharpen your point for just a second. The government isn't necessarily saying that the government's not saying anything, right? The government's saying that they don't want to turn this stuff over because it would give, uh, the criminals would know how to beat the tools that are being used against them. But what, like, for instance, what ProPublica divined is that, you know, one of the popular uh, organizations that works with the government to to go after these people is something called the uh, Child Resource Coalition, I think, down in okay. Florida. And that their, their actual system, the child, I think it's called the Child Protection System, it's a suite of software tools, uses exactly what you're talking about. Like, like 
It has these inner workings that we're not really allowed to see, but if you look in the user manual... They said they're even taking things like corporate email yeah, accounts, if you, if data from there corporate was a, email accounts. So I assume that means like Hotmail, uh, Gmail, you know, all the popular free email providers as well, yeah, probably it, forking over data. So, so the CRC, for instance, this Florida organization has a close tie with TransUnion, like you said, and a redacted user manual filed in a federal case, portions of which were unredacted by Human Rights Watch and confirmed by ProPublica, indicates that Child Protection Systems draws on unver- unverified data gathered by these firms. It says that, uh, you know, what is it, TransUnion, uh, has allowed law enforcement access to data collected on Internet users from a variety of sources with enhanced information that includes marketing data that has been linked to IP addresses and email accounts from corporate sources. Like you said, no logs are kept of any of law enforcement, uh, law enforcement's query of corporate data, the manual continued. It cautioned that subscriber data was unconfirmed and that it should be confirmed through other investigative means that are acceptable with your agency and prosecuting attorney. And I think this is where where the defense comes in, because the defense says, "Okay, so you pulled all this information based on IP addresses. You can't prove that an IP address is tied to a person. Right. Because Mm -hmm. of things like insecure wireless networks, um, you know, user stupidity. It used to be you'd get a, a Wi-Fi network and out of the box it was unsecured. Right. You know, now that's not the case. But who knows? You might be on an old. So, so they're saying that that when they're talking about you know improper access to a computer, well, you didn't even have a warrant. First off, they're they're using this data without right. a warrant. Right. Um. There. And, and how can you stop that? I want to stop for a second. And clarify. In a world where companies are able to collect massive amounts of data on the populace and sell them to private companies, which they are, and we know which they, they are. are, and we know yeah. they are, I don't think you can stop the government from buying that data, right? Right. Because now it's public and it's and it's legal to buy and sell. So so a police department can engage in whatever contract they want uh, to get this data. Now, what the what the lawyers I think are arguing is that this data would normally be protected by a warrant. You right. got to think of the data that gets collected. Uh, Google knows your your location data. They've got a profile on you. If you've got location services enabled, where when you left the house, what time, what stores you went to, how mm-hmm. fast you drove to get there, when you got out of your car, you know what I'm saying? What houses you went to, et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera. This would these would be things that are normally protected, um, you know, under under the Constitution, right. uh, against unreasonable search and seizure. Right, right. Um, so I think the lawyers have an argument there, and I think the government instead of Instead of treading that line, because they know it's a battle they can't win, right, right, right. <laughs> I think they just throw up their hands and they go, "Ah, well, we're not, we're not going to touch it. You know, we're going to yeah. drop this one." Right. And I think that that these other arguments are kind of a straw man. Yeah. I, I think the true issue is a little bit deeper, and it goes and it goes into the heart of of search and seizure, mm-hmm. and and whether this data collection and the use of the data that's collected. Um, is is constitutional or not? Yeah. Well, we know we absolutely know, as ProPublica notes, that the government has done this before. The government's reluctance to share technology with defense attorneys isn't limited to child pornography cases. They say prosecutors have let defendants monitored with cell phone trackers, known as stingrays, go free rather than fully reveal the technology. The secrecy surrounding cell phone tracking was once so pervasive in Baltimore that Maryland's highest court rebuked the practice as detrimental. Right. So so look what happened in those cases. Once once defense attorneys get a whiff that this defense is impenetrable, yeah. then every single criminal on trial uses this defense. Right, right. And right. now we have no weapon. So right. so so we're being asked to make a determination. And this is funny because 
if anything gets me closer to authoritarian totalitarianism, <laughs> yeah. it's protecting kids from from sexual abuse. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, if there's yeah. like this is one of those stories where ordinarily I would say fuck the government for taking this this information without a warrant. Yeah. And on this one, I kind of go, eh. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like these guys get what they deserve, but. If we're compromising liberty for security, yeah. and and then we get the rug pulled out from under us because all these child porn people can yeah. just go and get the case thrown out, yeah. then we're not even we're not even getting the benefits of that sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. Now no. we're just throwing liberty out the window. That's the terrible so, part. You know, I said I said in our last episode that you know uh, even if the government was tracking down Nazis, that I hoped I'd be the person who you know stood up and said, "Let's look." So, so that's why I felt like we had to talk about this story today. But at the same time, like I told you last night, I didn't I didn't lose an ounce of sleep last night <laughs> worrying about these guys. It's like so messed you know, up. In a sense, it's you. You said last night as we were talking about it, and you were like, <laughs> you were getting frustrated with it or whatever, and you're like, "Yeah, no, it's 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 all good until you know." Then they decide to put child porn on two podcast host computers, and then right. they come for us. Well, you know? I think I, mean, I think when you're talking about something as loose as an IP address, and you're and you're making, uh, you know, criminal accusations based on it, that's a scary place to be. Right. Like a Trump government who's upset with two podcast hosts criticizing a Trump government, say we got yeah. 2 million users, you know, 2 million, uh, 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 listeners. God willing yeah. listeners at some point, And, and, yeah, and we've now. done something to, <laughs> yeah. to damage the, the Trump regime, who is now a dictator 10 years in the future. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, you know, they decide to, to go hack my Wi-Fi router and put child porn on my PC right, right. and, and lock you away forever. So like yeah. these things are important and, and we have to understand the implications. You know, we cannot let um, the lure, the allure of 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 morality and justice to take us to to dark places. Right. And and we can. Ne- I don't think we can ever lose sight of those dark places, especially especially embroiled in this in this crazy political environment that yeah, we've been yeah. in for two years. Yeah, I think I think obviously, you know, you you get that in, you you feel like. If the data's out there and people are using the data, that you, you, it's like you said, how can you tell the government that you can't use the data? But once you've done it, like once you've done it, once if you don't stop, if you don't try to pump brakes, then it makes it, that becomes something that makes it harder to pump brakes on the collection of the data in the first place. Right. Because now it's not just a question of you invading our privacy. Now when I say I want to stop big data collection, you're going to look at me and say, well, you want to set child pornographers free? Right. Like, and that's, oh that's my a God. tough thing. You know but what I mean? Look at what's happening in this case. Without a warrant, police are accessing massive amounts of data. Right. Um, and, and, and I guarantee you they're doing it for drug traffickers. Yeah. And they're doing it for financial crimes. I guarantee they use some of these same tactics to catch these people caught up in in the in the college fraud right admission and, and and yeah you know as long as it's not being used for ill purposes ah. it's easy to go fine 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 well, i'm not know, saying we should i'm just saying yeah, it's easy to yeah no no and i and i think actually another thing that you had said last night you were like this this is what we need ethics for but i was saying <laughs> i was saying that the thing about it is i don't even know if an ethics office can stop this because who who wants to be that person who wants to be the person that says pump breaks? Don't go after these child <laughs> pornographers. If 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 they uncover, if you're in an ethics office, okay, and and I'm I'm not I'm not asking your best self. I'm I'm asking you sitting there listening to us right now. You ain't got to answer out loud, okay? 
if you were sitting there in an office and you uncovered, you were in the ethics office and you uncovered that the FBI was using this data and that seven or eight or a dozen since 2011 or even 60. Yeah. Or even 60 cases of child pornography that they had alleged or whatever were ill gotten means. However, over here, they had still, they were still able to catch a thousand child pornographers. You, you're probably going to let that one slide, aren't <laughs> you? Might you might just nudge it over yeah, into the, you're just into the like, trash bin. We'll, we'll deal with that <laughs> next quarter. You know what I mean? I, it's, it's, I don't, this is just one of those things where we need to have that conversation. And I think, we need to have that conversation in terms of big data. Right. We've and got to look at big data isolated. We got to tune that out for a second and say big data is this and it needs to be dealt with on its own. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and, and I think I think there's that that conversation is important. And I think there's merits to both sides of big data, right? Mm-hmm. Um obviously we should we should try to stop corruption. We should try to stop criminals. Um it's just it goes back to that question of balance, right? There's there's pros and cons and and we need to be acutely aware and have these conversations and and I, I think in a world where big data is allowed to collect databases of information and sell them then the government's allowed to buy it and yeah. and until we either make rules and say no the government cannot buy this information but private companies can and that seems extremely hypocritical yeah, that's not to gonna me work. Yeah. um and and you know how how yeah in what on what planet does that work so the only solution is. To, to clamp down on these companies from, from collecting this data, at least do what Scale the European back, Union did least, yeah. and give us some controls and some insight into the data. Um, you know, the, the EU data protection laws are, are awesome. And nanny yeah. state be damned. Uh, we need something like that. I'd like to see stronger, uh, even, even tighter uh, clamps on, on that kind of thing. But at the same time, the, <laughs> that answer might give us more child pornographers. It, it well, you, you notice. I mean, isn't that a tough place to be in? It is a tough place to be, but you know, as as we often point out on the show, that's that's kind of how it's supposed to be. Like it is supposed to be tough, and we're all supposed to participate and watch it. And I know it's hard. I know it's not the easy. The easiest way is to say, you know, whatever Lindsey Graham tells me to do, damn it, that's what we're going to do. But it's not like that. It's like this. It's like this child pornography case. Yeah. And 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 if you get down to that point. And you say that some child pornographers have to go free in order for, you know, us to to be able to function and thrive and not have secret police knocking on your door and everything. Then that's a decision that we have to talk about and make together. And, and, we make and it I got to say, I, I think a lot of listeners out there are going to go, oh, that's poo poo. You know, the government would never do anything like that. You know, yada, yada, yada. Mm. The CIA has used brown. What is it? Brownstone tactics. Yeah. They have they have set up like a 15 year old girl to have sex with a with a dude on camera and yeah. they used it to pressure him like this is all stuff that's been released Th- these are Cointel tactics Pro. Yeah, yeah Cointel Pro these are tactics that governments have historically used throughout history it's not outside of the realm of possibility Absolutely in fact not. it is squarely within the realm of of probability yeah <laughs> now all of that probably has left you with a bad taste in your mouth at I least know, if I'm you're disgusting. if you're thinking about it it certainly did. between biden so let me, and child porn so let me, this episode let me, was dirty let me calm things down for just a second the majority of child pornography cases are still ending in guilty pleas two of the cases that pro 
ProPublica cited ended up back in court because the government were able to bring new charges because they found other shit on other machines. Yeah, that's right. The guy you know who I mean? the guy so, so so a guy who uh they they had his IP address, they went and grabbed the computer and nothing was on the computer and he used yeah. that as a defense. Well, they found another laptop with images on it. Yeah. yeah. Know, so, you know, so and have, and got him. So. so there is no rash of child pornographers that are going free. This is just one of those things that you know we got to keep our eye on. Yep. So, and uh, it would be nice if we could keep a close eye on it, like Benzo keeps a close eye on us. Because let me tell you something, he is sweating me, yo. He's sweating me every week. My name comes up every week, every week. <laughs> Mine too, for some reason. You know, I would imagine there may come a day when you put as much effort into this show as you did in minimizing the college admission scandal. And on that day, I may indeed break a sweat trying to pick out a flub or an error on your part theory. Today, though. I'm drier than a dead dingo in a desert after a nine-day drought. Theory, you tell me. Do you hate people's names? Your mom beat you with a baby name book or something? I'm starting to get the impression that we're going by Sense Theory and Beanzo because proper names just aren't your bag, buddy. Matt Taibbi of the Rolling Stone wrote the article about the Trump-Russia coverage you referenced. What the hell? Did you add an L? Oh, and it's struck. Not Strizok there, Snoop. I like your Jackson Pollock approach, too, by the way. Richard Blumenthal, Sidney Blumenthal, Mike Bloomberg, Bloomingdale's. Let's keep spitting them out. I'm sure one of them is right. Poor Daphna Linzer, the political editor, Yashar Ali, accused of acting on the DNC's behalf, didn't even get an attempt. But hey, I'm sure NBC News are huge fans of the shotgun approach, since you said Miss Linzer worked at the Washington Post, CNN, and off-air even CBS instead of the old Peacock. Since? Nah, you know what? Since, hit the showers. Theory, I'm sure you'll tell us that the name flubs are because of all that research and facts and figures allegedly floating around in that brain of yours. You know, details like Janine Perot's dual loyalty quote about Ilan Omar that you forgot. Or just those little context details like William Barr's son got a job in the White House Counsel's Office advising the president on legal affairs. One day, Theory. One day you might be able to furrow old Beanzo's brow. But today, I'm positively parched. Fellas, back to you. See, that's exactly what I'm talking about, man. He's sweating me, dude. Look at that. He's all over me. Yeah. He's all over me, man. This is a naked, blatant attack on somebody who's doing the best that they can. I mean, you could characterize it that way, I guess. But honestly, Be you, Beans is an all right dude. You guess. Yeah, he catches some heat for being an asshole sometimes. And yeah, he is sometimes. Oh. But overall, I oh, mean, okay. Beans is all right. I see what's happening here. We got sent to the showers. Now it's just gang up on theory, well, huh? Thanks, guys, for joining us for this episode. I'm glad we got to do a grab bag and catch up on all Collaborator. the stories that kind of slipped through the cracks on us. Uh, hopefully guys we can all hater. come together and get some good bills passed. Let's oh, look end at me. this arbitration, mandatory but Taylor Swift's parents got her a recording contract, and that's completely fine. 1989 was a trash album. <laughs> hey, y'all. This is Beanzo, beloved star of the critically acclaimed show, The Bean Pod. I want to thank all of you for taking a moment to check out my side project, The Sense and Theory Podcast. Remember, if you need an extra dose of truth and integrity between shows, you can find all the links to contact my social media team at senseandtheorypodcast.com. You can also join the movement that's sweeping the nation by donating five bucks a month and becoming an official Beanzo buddy at 
patreon.com slash sensingtheory. And finally, don't forget that my segments normally start somewhere between 55 minutes or an hour in. You can always just skip ahead to the best part. This is your gracious host, Beanzo, signing off.